So there's a story on ABC News right now, and it's about a guy and a girl. It's that age-old story. They met at a very young age, and they fell in love instantly. They might have been 10, 11, 12 years old when they realized it, but they knew they were in love. And then they were separated for a period of time. But then the fates aligned, and they were brought back together. And they realized that their hearts still burned. And so they looked at getting married. But they were told in the state in which they live in the U.S., Utah, they wouldn't be allowed. Why? Can't you do anything in Utah? Polygamy is still legal in Utah. Well, the answer is they weren't allowed because when they were meeting for those first few times... It was at things like family barbecues and reunions with softball games. They're first cousins. And so what did they do? Well, they found a state in the U.S. where everything is legal. You want to buy marijuana? Colorado will let you do it. You want to marry your first cousin? Sign here, please. And that's exactly what they did. They went to Colorado and they got married. Now... First cousin is not quite sister and brother. It's not, I, which would be closer? You know, I am my own grandpa. I don't, it's not anything quite right on the trunk of the tree, but it's pretty close. In fact, scientifically, if you break this down, there is a 12.5% match of their DNA. That doesn't sound good at all. This this sounds like it could have implications. And scientifically, it does. Now, here's what you have to consider. The usual chance for any average couple never met at a family barbecue, <laughs> never each said, hey, mom, and had somebody turn around. The average couple has a 3 to 4% risk of their child having a genetic disorder. If you are first cousins, that rises to a 4 to 7% risk. So it's not a 40 to 70% risk, it's a 4 to 7% risk. There is a higher risk because there can be complications cuz you share 12.5% of the same DNA. Ah, it still makes you say, mm, "I don't know about that. I don't think this is such a good idea." But they're in love. They've been in love. Should they have to sign a form that says, you know, we can hang out all we want. We're just not going to have those things called kids. I don't know. They look young enough to have children. Both are in very good shape. So they haven't said one way or another whether they will have children, but they definitely have a higher risk of a genetic disorder. First cousins finding a way to get married in the United States. I don't think you can marry your first cousin in Ontario. In fact, I don't think you can do it anywhere in Canada, can you? I'm surprised you can do it in the U.S. Wouldn't that be something that you would have to say, hi, just a second, let me, uh, let me make a phone call here. Hi, Bolivia? Yeah, I got this idea. What do you? I thought that's what it would be, but no, there, there's a state for that. I think that's usually the way it is in the U.S. We were with the Knights on the weekend, and we were in the U.S., and I always get a kick out of... U.S. TV commercials because they are just a little bit different, not even only during the Super Bowl, but they are just a little bit different. And I was on a treadmill 
in Erie. When would it have been? Sunday morning. And I was kind of watching whatever was on. They got four channels, so you didn't have a large choice. But I was watching some old basketball game somewhere. And all of a sudden, a commercial comes on. And it's Frank Thomas. Remember Frank Thomas? He used to play for the Chicago White Sox. Great big power hitter. And he's hawking some kind of testosterone supplement. That There is no way this would be approved by Health Canada. Because the... Two things that it did was it raised your level of testosterone just right off the bat, and it helped you out in the bedroom. That was basically it, and Frank Thomas is selling this away. And then it gave all the side effects, and that's my favorite part of U.S. TV commercials is when they have a commercial on for arthritis or a commercial on for hair loss or you know something that can be, well, arthritis can be very bad, uh, but let's take, for example, hair loss, and then they list off all of the side effects, and you start reading through all of the side effects, do you not find that one of them is usually premature death? They kind of sneak that one in. You know, you may experience joint pain, drowsiness, dreariness, difficulty concentrating, some sort of confusion, inability to stand on one leg, premature death, and a few other symptoms. If you experience any of these symptoms, please call your doctor immediately. They seem to work that one in. Premature death. I, I'm out. I am out. Just like marrying a first cousin, if there's a chance I'm going to pass along a genetic disorder at a greater rate because I've married my first cousin, I'm out. No way. I always love those commercials, though. Today on the show, we're going to keep things pretty Canadian. In fact, we are going to go within the province. We are going to go coast to coast. And we're actually going to go within the city limits. So a little bit of municipal, a little bit of provincial, a little bit of national. The national we'll deal with a little later on because, I don't know, we've talked SNC-Lavalin quite a bit. I do want to get to some of the things that Justin Trudeau was talking about because it, it almost sounded like all of this could have been solved if they had been able to put everybody on that show with, is this your final answer? Remember the show that got big, Millionaire, whatever it was? That was the game show that you were always asked. Now, is that your final answer? And if the answer was, you know, three plus three equals what, and you had, you know, five, two, six, and elephant, typically you knew what to pick, and they would always say, no, no, that's, that's my final answer. And then it would get more difficult later on. I think if they were able to do this this time around, we could have avoided this entire scandal because the prime minister's office and the prime minister seem to be alleging that they they didn't really know what was happening here. And there was a breakdown in communication. And that's why Gerald Butts had to step down. And then the prime minister himself, Justin Trudeau, kind of alluded to that again today. Is that your final answer? Should have been asked and should have been received an answer because, you know, it's it's almost like, and again, I have my own suppositions in all of this, that the game of politics was being played, and then you had a person of integrity, not willing to play the game, who st- stood up and said, you know, we're not going to do it that way this time. This is kind of bad. So, no, we're not going to do that. And it sounds like you had the PMO or whoever it was who was going before Jody Wilson-Raybould, at that time the Attorney General, saying, now, are you sure that's your final answer? And the idea was, the more you say it, 
the more apt they are to say, oh, I guess, no, maybe you, you want me to pick a, a different one? How about three plus three equals elephant? Is that the one? Yeah, that, that would be great if you could pick three plus three equals elephant. So we'll talk more about that a little later on. We are also going to get to BRT. Because we haven't talked about that in a little while. And there could be some fun things happening. In fact, the way it's breaking up may actually be breaking up the entire plan for BRT. So we've got to get to that. And in about an hour from now, maybe a little less than an hour, we'll be joined by Ward 8 Counselor Steve Lehman, who went throughout Ward 8 and admits in the summer when he started campaigning, this this was big for them. And there were major concerns about what this would actually do. The goal is to get people out of their vehicles. And we've talked about this before. Yeah, I don't think so. I still don't think that's happening. I think for certain parts of the population, that's doable. That's feasible. But other parts of the population, no. And we've got a lot of vehicles on the road right now. Try and drive around at rush hour. It's a little better now that we have less construction and less stuff going on downtown. But we're going to see more construction. That's going to spring up again. It's almost spring now. Turn your clocks ahead this weekend. We lose an hour and the weather's getting better. But that's the way it's going to be. But try to get around. We need to get people off the streets. There is nobody disputing that right now. But how do we do it? There will be a public meeting coming up in roughly two weeks. And that's going to be at Centennial Hall. So they've already decided this is going to be big. We're going to have a lot of people here. And here we go. So that's something you can take part in, but we'll discuss it in just a little bit. We are also going to be talking about the autism protest that has been taking place at Queens Park. And we're going to take you there, and we're going to speak with one of the speakers today at this protest. This is something that has a lot of passion behind it, and I'm glad to see this. You know, because sometimes we're not passionate enough about stuff. If you were to look at a European country and if something wasn't going right, they are not opposed to going into the streets. If you look at other countries around the world, not opposed to going to the streets and saying, look, this is not good and we're going to make some noise and let you know about it. What do we do? We're still questioning whether or not what has gone on with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau will still be relevant in October because it's so far away. Ah, the average Canadian mind will have forgotten about that. We won't be thinking. We won't even be talking about that. There'll be new things to discuss. And nobody's going to remember. Now, there have been a lot of calls to either the Craig Neal Show or to London Live that have said, no, we will not forget. We will not forget. And this is big. And it will continue to be big. And it may be. But... I'm willing to bet this is the last we hear from the Prime Minister about it for a little while. We're not going to hear from Gerald Butts anymore. He's all done. They won't let Jody Wilson-Raybould speak again. So this is going to start to fade away. And that doesn't happen with certain things. And that's not happening right now with the provincial government and autism funding. And you really have to credit the people who are continuing to be as passionate as they are. Because ultimately, if you make noise... You can bring about attention and perhaps even change. When we always hear, whatever the cause is, that if you would email your MP or your MPP, if you would contact somebody, that would make a difference. And you always think, yeah, but I'm, 
I'm just one voice, and uh, it would take a lot to sit down and actually put some words together, and I don't want to look like a dummy. So, uh, yeah, I believe in this, but I just didn't get around to doing that. But when you do, ask anybody who has governed in any way, whether a councillor, whether a member of provincial parliament, whether it's a member of parliament, if they get a couple of notes from people, and I'm talking not 20, I'm talking two, as long as they are reasonable and well laid out, they're going to look into that. And that's something that we don't necessarily take advantage of enough. But when it comes to autism right now, that is being taken advantage of. So we are going to head to Toronto in about 20 minutes from now, and we'll speak with someone who has spoken at this protest. And there was quite a spirited chant going on. And that spirited chant, we'll play some of it for you, because it was basically come on out, come on out, over and over and over again. So that's coming up on the show as well. Up next, I want to clarify a couple of things. March break is coming, and for London Knights fans, it has meant autographs and a big kickoff to March break. That's happening again, but it's changing locations, and we've received a few emails asking about things because the London Knights are going to be at the factory on Monday, and in fact, London Live will be there between 1 and 3. We'll talk to some players, some coaches. Uh, We'll talk to some of the kids in attendance as well, and we'll have ourselves a blast. I think Jim Kelly from FM96 is going to be there, and we may have a race on the Ninja Warrior course that they have set up. I've tried one of those. I don't, I lack a lot of things in life. One of them is hand strength, not the strongest hands. And to do a good warrior course, you gotta have strong hands. But we've had a lot of questions as to, you know, admission, can you get autographs? What's happening? Where is it again? And we're going to answer all of those with the help of Ryan Starr, brand manager with the London Knights. He'll join us on London Live next. And then if you haven't heard about the contest that is currently running that can get you to more Juno events than you ever believed there were, we'll run down how you can get involved in that as well. So we'll clear up a few things we've had some questions about. If you ever have any questions that you feel we can get you answers to or someone you would like to hear from, Don't be shy. Email mike at 980cfpl.ca. Let us know, and we will endeavor to talk to that person. This is London Live. It is Thursday, and this is Global News Radio 980cfpl. On Monday, March break technically begins after tomorrow, but on Monday, we are going to kick it off. London Live is going to be at the factory. I think we're going to be suspended in air. I think so. Should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Whatever you want to do, let's do it. You want to suspend me from the ceiling? Let's let's still do some talk radio. And the London Knights are going to be there. So we'll be at the factory from 1 to 3. Knights are going to be there. And we've had a lot of questions that have come in regarding what's taking place. So I thought, you know what's best for anybody who's planning to take their kids or their grandkids and kick off March break in style, let's get the brand director of the London Knights and let's ask him about these sorts of things. Please welcome to London Live, Ryan Starr. Ryan, we're heading into a weekend that will feature the final home games of the regular season. Isn't it wild? Like, it just felt like September was yesterday and we were coming into a new season and the weather was great and now we're in March and a 
winter wonderland again, and it's uh, it's crazy that the season's kind of drawn to an end here. Uh, it's it's really flown by the season. I feel like we say that every year, but it really feels like it this year too. Well, Flint tomorrow, Saginaw Saturday, and that is it. Playoff tickets are on sale, right? Yep, yeah, you can pick them up at the Aluminum Associates London Knights Armory or give us a call or visit uh, visit our website as well. Not only have things flown by in the hockey season, on the calendar, like you say, we are in March, and a lot of Knights fans look forward to March break each and every year because there's usually a big event to kick it off, and... I've been getting a lot of emails asking me about the event, asking about what's happening. Is there an event? So thank you for coming on the show today on London Live and answering the questions. Uh, There is an event. What is happening? When is it happening? Yeah, so this year we're actually going to the factory, um, the new ropes course and uh, play area and, and basically a big giant activity area. Um, over at the old Kellogg factory on a, at 100 Kellogg Lane. Uh, so we're going to be there on Monday, March 11th from 1 to 3, and it's our final team appearance for the season. So you can go and, and get to meet all of your favorite London Knights and cheer them on before the playoffs start. Okay, so 1 to 3 at the factory, and that is this coming Monday then? Yeah, yeah Monday, March 11th. Now, in getting in, is there an admission fee? We've gotten that question a couple of times. There will be an admission fee when you're going to the factory. It's $15, but you do get a $15 voucher as well for the arcade or for the food stand and, and the uh, food court too. So uh, you'll be, be able to go in, play some arcade games, get to meet your nights, get a bite to eat, and uh, hang out at the factory. It's, it's a really great, uh, really great venue with a whole lot of stuff to do over the March break. So uh, hopefully this will be kind of your first stop throughout a, a great week. Let me zip to another email that came in yesterday from Grant, and Grant said, are autographs available at the Knights event next week? Yeah, absolutely. People will be able to go in, get some autographs, uh, take some photos, you know, talk with, uh, talk with the players and uh, everything that uh, we do at every other community appearance, too, and maybe you'll be able to play some games with the players as well and, and see how good you are compared to them at some arcade games and stuff like that. Perfect. Great way to begin March break. Thank you for clarifying everything, Ryan. Playoff tickets on sale. Final weekend of regular season home games. Soon it'll be the final weekend of the regular season. That's next weekend. And then playoffs begin. Enjoy the rest of the afternoon. Looking forward to it and looking forward to a great rest of the season, Mike. Ryan Starr, brand director with the London Knights. So that comes up on Monday. Something is happening right now that you might not even be taking advantage of. You know the Junos are coming. You know the Junos take place on March 17th. We'll have to check in with London Police because that's also St. Patrick's Day. How stretched is is it going to be if if it's a warm day? That just dawned on me. St. Patrick's Day typically is a difficult day on police in this city. And then when you have a big event like the Junos... I'll have to check in on that. But we have an Ultimate Junos prize package that we are giving away. All you have to do is know what the top story is at 8 in the morning, noon, that's 12 p.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. 
And what you do is you email junos at 980cfpl.ca with those top stories at 8, noon, and 5. Listeners can enter three times per day. That's one per hour. Or you can email the top three stories in one email after 5 o'clock. And we will be announcing a winner on Monday, March the 11th. So that's Monday, March the 11th. Take a look. That sounds like it's a long way away. That's this Monday. So it's the ultimate Juno's prize package. You get to go to the Juno Cup Jam, the Juno Cup, the Juno Fanfare, Juno Songwriters Circle, and the 48th Annual Juno Awards on March 17th at Budweiser Gardens. So top story at 8, noon, and 5, and we will announce a winner coming up on Monday. Next up, we are going to be talking with Elspeth Dodman, who was speaking today at the autism protest in Toronto. And she is somebody who can talk a lot about what having autism is like because she is on the spectrum. And we'll look at kind of some of the things that she has dealt with and why people are becoming as passionate as they are about what is happening provincially with regard to autism funding. First, Jacqueline LaBelle has news. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Do you own a remote control? Why? Why do you own that remote control? Why would you get a TV with a remote control? Why would you do that? Why don't you want to get up off the couch and walk to the TV every time and now try and find those little tiny buttons that are either underneath or on the back? Sometimes they're contained inside a little plastic door. Why wouldn't you want to do that every time? Well, because you want it to be easy, right? With a remote control, you can flip around. You know, now we have things like Google Home and Alexa. This morning, usual morning at our house, Walked downstairs, said, Alexa, play 980 CFPL. And next thing you know, Jake Jeffrey and Jess Brady were on the radio. It's easy. That's why you have that stuff. So when we look at autism funding, which we're going to talk more about in a moment, we have to look at this from the perspective of the government first. Because a government wants to make things fairly easy. And it's easy to use broad strokes. So what they've done is something that has been done for years and years and years. If you look at the legalities for kids in car seats, it's a good example. You have to be in a car seat until you are a certain age. You have to be in a booster seat until you are a certain age. But kids grow differently. If you look at the car seat, it will say, this works up until the child is this weight. And then a booster seat should be in it until this weight. But after, I think it's the age of eight, you don't have to be sitting in a booster seat. Some eight-year-olds are 40 pounds. They need to be sitting in a booster seat. But it's easier under the law to be able to say, no, 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 no. We're not going to worry about carrying scales around and weighing children. That's not what we're going to do. We'll just say eight, eight years old. There, done, bye. That's what they want to do. And if you look at autism, 
You can't say someone has autism and be completely correct. I know it's something that does get said or is something that is said, but that's that's not completely accurate. Someone who has been diagnosed with autism is on the spectrum and they are on a different spot and cases are different. And so you have to kind of take that into account. And that's what the government funding does not take into account. It wants to say everybody who is eight years old, this. Everybody who is four years old, this. And the age ranges are a little bit different than that. We're not talking about car seats anymore. But essentially what they want to say is families get $20,000 per year for children under six $5,000 a year for children 6 to 18. Intensive therapy, though, as we well know, can cost a lot more than that. Some estimates have it at $80,000 a year. So even in doing that, it makes it nice and easy, nice and clear cut. And you know what? When you release that, it's easy for the public to say, wow, $20,000 per year for kids under 6. I can, I can kind of get my head around that. From 6 to 18, $5,000 per year. Yeah, I can get my head around that. But overall, if you look at where a child happens to be on the spectrum, some are going to need more funding. Some are going to need more assistance. And it doesn't take that into account. And that's what the parents are trying to say. And that's what they want the government to listen to. And in a moment, we are going to speak with someone who is on the spectrum and who was speaking today at Queen's Park in Toronto. That's next on London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. If you have heard anything from Queen's Park today, not the inside of the premier squabbling with a bunch of other people over policing, not that. That stuff just gets tiring after a while. What was going on outside where you had families and advocates of children with autism by the hundreds. In fact, here are some sounds from earlier today. They are chanting, come outside. And what they wanted to have happen is they wanted to have someone like Children, Community, and Social Services Minister Lisa McLeod coming outside and what we're looking at is a funding plan. And the problem is with this funding plan that it can't take an individual approach. It is to get 23,000 children with autism off a waiting list. It is to assist in funding for families who can be spending, as we understand it, up to $80,000 a year. And so it's taking a, a big wide brush, and it's painting with that big wide brush. And that's what families are concerned about. Joining us right now is someone who not only may have been one of those voices, but was a key voice today at Queen's Park as a speaker at the protest. Please welcome to London Live, Elspeth Dodman. Elspeth, how are you? Hello. Hey. How are you? I am fine. How did today go? Today went very well. We have quite the turnout. Uh, we are disappointed that Doug Ford didn't come to join us, nor did Lisa McLeod. However, 
we uh, we've been very vocal, and our turnout has been excellent. We've got so many uh, coach buses have arrived from uh, across the province to be here today. Uh, people who brought their kids, they brought their family members and friends. Service providers have come. Uh, members of, of uh, teaching and and education have come, and so we're really pleased with today's turnout. Elspeth, you had a chance to address the crowd. What was it that you said? I uh, said that it was time for us to consider uh, looking at how we can support adults on the spectrum, that I and my uh, friends and colleagues on the spectrum are not uh, puzzle pieces or uh, uh, members of the DSM or even a provincial price tag. We are citizens of Ontario, and we have come to ask that we and our needs be met by our government that is meant to work for the people. We have had a lot of talk about children in this case, but you raise an excellent point that we need to be looking out for adults on the spectrum as well. What sorts of things would help you? I would like the government to consider looking at uh, the our unemployment rate. Right now, according to the Ontario Child Advocate, we face an 80% unemployment rate, uh, and, and that needs to be addressed because people on the autism spectrum want to be a part of your community. We want to work and be able to support ourselves. We would like to be able to live independently, and we would like to contribute to our communities. And uh, when we're not able to work, it often means that we are reliant on emergency services. And, uh, and so if we were able to work and meet our full potential uh, that way, we would, not, we would not need those things. Another ask would be for housing. For many of us, we're left wondering what will happen to us after our parents have died. Uh, you know, I myself am living at home, but for how long can I do that? Uh, you know, and so looking at accessible housing for those who would require only some assistance to live alone and all the way up to those who uh, would require uh, more uh, assistance to live in a group uh, in a group community. We're talking with Elspeth Dodman, who spoke today at the autism protest. Elspeth, one of the things you've been able to do is you have lived life on the spectrum. You have been a child on the spectrum. You are now an adult on the spectrum. What has life been like for you with what's available here in the province? Uh, rather challenging. And in many ways, it has been all about luck. I have been very lucky in that I had uh, a parent who worked in the medical field, in the medical system. So she knew how to navigate uh, that system. Uh, I'm lucky in that I have a social worker and a psychiatrist, but many of my colleagues don't. Uh, and and that has, has been an advantage for me. But it has been hard because, uh, as I said, facing an 80% unemployment rate is very difficult. Uh, I have a, a BA uh, in fine art history and anthropology, and, and I've been very lucky uh, to, to get a work here in town. Uh, but again, many of my friends aren't working and aren't employed, and it's, it's a great waste for this province and for London and our community to not have their talents and their abilities, uh, you know, being used and utilized for the betterment uh, of, of London, Ontario. And what a shame. Uh, it's been difficult in that when I was younger, we didn't have the same level of support that even children today had. And so there was a lot of stuff that I see even children today having access to that, you know, we, we didn't have iPads when I was little. We didn't have, you know, we didn't have the awareness that we do now. 
but at the same time, you know, the children of today deserve so much better than what they are getting. And so, uh, you know, as much as I am also uh, fighting for adults, we're, we're here today as well to make sure that kids today don't have to, uh, you know, make do with what they have either. We should, we should expect more for people on the autism spectrum. We're citizens of this province. We're talking with Elspeth Dodman, who spoke today at the autism protest at Queen's Park with the hope that they would see Premier Doug Ford, with the hope that they would see Children, Community and Social Services Minister Lisa McLeod. Do you feel that the fact that you had such a great turnout will have an impact? I'm hopeful. Uh, I'm not sure uh, what to expect from this government particularly. They haven't backed down on other motions that they've made. So I, I don't know. And I, I don't know... Uh, if uh, if they will plan to back down. So far, they've really dug in their heels. Uh, but I'm hopeful. I hope that they do, uh, you know, look out look out their windows and see who's outside. We have had uh, people within Queen's Park looking out their windows and opening their windows to take pictures of us to, to, to see the people outside. Apparently, we could be heard from, from inside the building, which is, you know, that, that's wonderful. I'm really happy for that. Uh, and, and I'm hoping, hoping that we will be able to be heard by Doug Ford and Minister Lisa McLeod. I think the families here and the advocates here all want the same thing, which is the best outcome for their children so that they can live the very best lives that they can. And a minister and a government that works for the people should want that as well. Elspeth, as a, a final thing and a final note, we've talked a lot about the government, and it seems to want to paint everything with a a nice broad brush where if you are under the age of six then this happens if you are between six and 18 then this happens and it almost feels like everybody on the spectrum is is kind of the same that's not the case is it it's absolutely not the case uh even even amongst my friends and colleagues on the spectrum no two of us are alike just as you know no two people without autism are alike uh, I have different needs than my friends, and the goals and, and uh, things that I'm striving towards are different than uh, than the, the things and the goals that my friends are striving towards. And so to therefore say, Elsa's will get the same thing as the next person uh, is, is not accurate, and it's not really helpful to people, and it's not a very good way to spend uh, the money that is allotted to this portfolio. Um, we need to be able to assess needs based so that the money... Uh, that comes to me is is what I need and not over or or below. You know, uh, we we can't paint every person uh, with the same brush. It's it's not it's it won't work, and it will frankly uh, not do justice to the people in this province. Elspeth, thank you so much. I think we all wish we could have heard exactly all the words that you said today, but thank you for sharing some more of them with us this afternoon. Thank you very much. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. That is Elspeth Dodman. Spoke at the autism protest at Queen's Park today. And Elspeth is on the spectrum. She was diagnosed with autism. She grew up on the spectrum. And how interesting was it to hear her say that one of the things that benefited her most was luck. Lucky to be in the family that she was in. Lucky to have the parent that she had who had a connection to the healthcare system. Luck. She's advocating for a lot of her friends who are now adults on the spectrum. And it is so hard. And this is why you have to look at it from the government perspective as well. It is so hard to say, okay, we are going to do this 
in a way that the parents and anyone who is on the spectrum spectrum is asking. We're going to do this so that we're looking at each individual case, so that when we allocate funding, it can be used to the best of its ability. That right there is going to cost money. That right there is going to be difficult to carry out, and I think that's why we haven't seen it. But in not doing it that way, you almost look ignorant. It means you're not paying attention to what's actually happening here. And that, unfortunately, is where the government has placed itself. That you don't appear to understand what autism is when you're doing it this way. You want to do a raw, raw, which they did at the beginning. We are going to clear the 23,000 person wait list. That's what we are going to do. It's a raw, raw thing. And in the end, now you have hundreds of people turning out at Queen's Park. And this is, again, the thing that we talked about off the start. If an MPP or an MP receives two emails and they are well-written and well-thought-out, they can't help but take action on those. Two. Three. One. Doesn't have to be many. And in this case, you've got hundreds of people saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, it is fantastic that the government wants to do these things, but hey, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. I don't build my own house. You know why? I have no clue how to do it. I know what's involved. I know that there's wood and there's plaster and I better get some shingles, but I don't know anything. I don't know how to make it stand up in a windstorm. I can buy the materials, but I should not be trusted to construct that house. In the case of what we're dealing with with anyone on the spectrum, you have the government saying, we want to buy those materials and we want to build the house. Well, why not ask the people who actually know how to build a house or maybe how a better house could be built? We build all our houses the same way. What if there's a better way? We haven't even thought of it yet. What if 45 degree angles should be used a little bit more than what they are? Forget the 90s. Ah, 45. That's the new way. That's what you want to hear because that might be the case. And that's what's not happening here. And that's why we get a protest involving hundreds. Will it do anything? I don't know. Because the Ontario government is about saving some money right now. And if they're going to allocate money, they want to allocate that money, and that's that. And on to the next thing, because there's a lot to deal with right now. They were left a mess. They really were. And we can always say, oh, the, the last government, the last government. No, the liberals left them a mess. We have to appreciate that. But at the same time, they got to make sure that if they are going to spend dollars, they're spending them in the best way. And you've got to listen to the people. That's how you create a great province. We are a great province. We can be even better. That's one of the ways to do it. We'll tell you what's coming up next on London Live. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Coming up, we've got to revisit something. We're going to revisit a couple of things. We're not going to spend a lot of time on Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, but I do want to ask you whether it feels like it's the end of a game show. That's what I want to ask. So we'll talk about that. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau spoke this morning. And I think the SNC-Lavalin thing will lose some of its steam from this point on. But 
Right now, it is still in the news, so we'll cover it. Next week, we're going to have talk about bus rapid transit. We have city staff who have prepared some options. City councillors are going to be able to look at those options. They're going to be able to say, yeah, okay, let's uh, focus in on this. Yeah, look at that. Ah, I like that. Ooh, check that one out. Yeah, let's get rid of letter D. Let's, let's not do D. So that's what they're going to be doing. We'll talk with one of those city councillors, Steve Lehman, in our second hour. And we'll ask him where he sees this going. There's a lot still to figure out because there's a lot of money out there. How do you spend a lot of money? When you have it, it's so easy to say, ah, we got a lot. Let's eat out tonight. Come on. We'll go to another restaurant. We got lots of money. Yeah, we just got that check there from the government. Yeah, let's do it. Tax time's an example. So how does the city keep from feeling like that? News is next with Jacqueline LaBelle. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Give me a B. Give me an R. You don't want to, do you? You don't want to give me a B or an R, because then that means you'll have to give me a T. We're going to talk transit in a moment. Do want to let you know that just in case you're doing some traveling tomorrow and you plan to travel, the 401 Ministry of Transportation is out with a note that they are closing both the eastbound and westbound lanes of the 401 from King Street East in the Kitchener area to Shantz Hill uh, or King Street East and Shantz Hill uh, through to Franklin Boulevard starting at 10 in the morning. That's not really going to affect your commute unless you're headed to Toronto. That's a tough stretch anyway. Don't you find it hard to drive anywhere on the 401 anymore? Because you get the slowdowns. There's almost an automatic slowdown somewhere around Woodstock. There's a definite slowdown somewhere around Cambridge and Kitchener. And then sometimes you'll hit one at Milton. And then getting through Toronto, even if you do it, right around that 412 section. Whose idea was that? Hey, let's have a highway drain into the 401 again. No, let's not have that. Let's, that's a bad plan. That's a, it's becoming rough. The thing that is always interesting is to hear from somebody who has never driven on the 401. Do you know anybody who lives out west? Especially out west. And you say, well, the 401, they'll say, well, why would you drive on the 401 anyway? It's the most dangerous highway in the world. No, it's not. It, it, it has its moments, sure, but it's not something that you're going to stay off. It's just what it's becoming in terms of volume. When we changed it to three lanes years ago, somebody should have had the forethought. Four lanes. Actually, why didn't we have the forethought? Uh, let's make it 26 lanes. We'll be ready for 2126, the year 2126. But that didn't happen. So we're getting bogged down, but you're going to be even more bogged down tomorrow on the 401. Mentioned it last hour, just in case you weren't able to hear it last hour, please hear it now. You have today and you have tomorrow. And then you have Monday. What we're asking you to do as part of our ultimate Juno's prize pack that could win you a pair of tickets to the Juno Cup Jam, the Juno Cup, Juno Fanfare, the Juno Songwriter Circle, which is pretty cool, and, of course, the 48th Annual Juno Awards, March 17th at Budweiser Gardens. We've got an opportunity for you to win. You know our top story. Comes up at 8 o'clock noon and 5 p.m. Or, well, it comes up every hour. But... 
let's face it, 8 o'clock noon and 5 p.m., those are some key points during the day. If you can email junos at 980cfpl.ca with the top stories at 8, noon, and 5, you can enter three times per day, once per hour, or you can email the three top stories in one email after 5 o'clock. You could win that Juno prize pack. And in fact, we are going to announce the winner on Monday. So that's coming up in just a couple of days. Okay. Give me a B. Give me me a B. I still don't hear it. Give me a B. BRT, back in the news. And although maybe we're not taking out the pom-poms, maybe we're not cheerleading, there are concerns. And now we're going to get to see who's on what side of this. Because this did sway votes in the election. It really did. And we've got people who are now in place who are looking at this for the very first time. We have anybody in the city willing to admit, hey, we need to be ready for the future. We need changes, improvements when it comes to public transit. And that's not a slight on the LTC. It really isn't. That's just saying we're all going to start to move differently. In fact... We've been moving differently. There are different things that we now use that we didn't use before. Now, in the city, we have ourselves basically a couple of modes of public transit. You've got taxis that you could call public transit, although could we call that private transit, I guess? You know, I guess a couple of modes that are outside your own two feet or your own four wheels. Let's put it that way. Or your own two wheels. Let's say that we've got taxi, we've got Uber, we've got buses. Where else do we need to go? That's the big question. Because there is a big amount of money. $370 million in government funding for infrastructure projects. Now, we've already heard Mayor Ed Holder say that a deadline to choose projects to go after this funding is going to be the end of this month. And so this needs to be dealt with. And that's exactly what's going to happen. So what will be happening? Well, let's get a fresh set of eyes on this. Let's talk with someone who didn't go through this the first time around on the last council. Somebody who's dealing with this for the very first time. We have with us Ward 8 Councillor Steve Lehman. And we are going to talk BRT, what is ahead next week, so that we all understand what is coming, because we've got a public information session that is coming up. Councillor Lehman, great to have you with us. Uh, Since this is the first time for you, how excited are you to dig into all of this? Well, uh, you are right, Mike. That was the uh, campaign uh, issue, for sure. Uh, People in... uh, in my ward, Ward 8 out in Oak Ridge, uh, definitely that was um, top of mind, and, uh, and I received a clear message from them. I campaigned on uh, opposition uh, to that BRT plan. I also campaigned on the fact that we uh, have $374 million available to us from the feds in the province. And I wanted to see if we could look for uh, ways to use that money to enhance transportation for, for all forms of transportation, without uh, one coming at the expense of, of the other. So how excited am I in to get to this? I, well, I can't tell you. I mean, it's been uh, top of mind uh, since uh, campaigning started in the middle of summer. And I know London, quite frankly, 
uh, has been eager to see uh, action uh, on this side. And uh, I want to thank everyone for uh, their patience. Um, so here we go. Um, this is uh, uh, this is going to be a fascinating uh, discussion. Um, we are presented uh, with uh, a list of projects from BRT that would qualify for funding. Uh, we'll be getting that list on March 13th. I'm looking forward to the public participation meeting. Uh, that's going to be on March 20th at Centennial Hall at uh, 3 p.m. And, of course, uh, you know, my email and, and phone uh, are always available to speak to folks about that. And finally, I look forward to, to working with Council uh, to find solutions um, uh, that we uh, can agree on. Because I think, you know, at the end of the day, all councillors uh, want to see uh, folks moving around London in the most efficient and cost-effective manner without doing harm uh, to, uh, you know, property and, uh, and other um, forms of transportation. Ward 8 Councillor Steve Lehman joining us as we do talk about BRT. This is kind of the prologue to the next book that will be written on bus rapid transit or whatever it happens to become. In campaigning in and around Oak Ridge, you mentioned that you were hearing a lot about BRT. What typically, if you could boil it down to a couple of messages, what were you getting from constituents in Ward 8? Ward 8, uh, they were concerned that um, that project... Uh, didn't improve uh, the um, uh, the transportation time for for current transit users, and the big one too. They didn't see how that would how that transportation uh, plan uh, would get people out of their cars and use transit, which was the whole idea uh, behind um, uh, BRT in the first place. And I happen to agree with them when I looked at that plan. I honestly could not see uh, how that there. I couldn't see any improvement uh, that would um, entice someone to 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 leave their car at home and uh, take the bus uh, either downtown or to shopping or the kids to school or whatever we do when we use our car on a day-to-day basis. Um, so that that that's what I was hearing loud, loud and clear uh, in Ward Eight. Is that something that you're going to be bringing up next week as the meeting begins, or is it just a case of let's see what's on the table and go from there? Yeah, definitely. I think in this case, um, we're looking forward to uh, getting the list of projects um, from uh, city staff on March 13th. Uh, so, uh, you know, I will be going through through all the, that list of, uh, of the projects and see what you know what what meet that what meets that criteria. So, for example, um, we have a underpass plan on Adelaide Street, uh, multi-million dollar project. If I can get that built under this plan, uh, with uh, the saving the uh, uh, London taxpayers um, seventy-six cents on the dollar, um, for sure, I'll be uh, you know looking for. For things like that, so I'm excited to see what uh, what city staff has to present. As a, a final thought on this, this is a lot of money. This is a legacy type project. How do you kind of separate what's practical for the city from kind of the pressure that comes with? Hey, we've got to do something, and we've got all of this money there. Let's let's just go on the shopping spree and spend it. Well, I've never been been a big fan of. Uh taking a lot of money to dig a hole 
and creating a lot of jobs to dig that hole. And then 10 years later, filling the hole in, creating a lot of jobs and spending a lot of money. At the end of the day, it's taxpayers' money uh, any way you look at it. So let's use uh, the money effectively. Let's keep in mind uh, we want to improve transportation uh, for all modes of transportation, but not at the harm of either, uh, you know, car, transit, bike, or what have you. Let's not forget, um, uh, we've heard, uh, we've heard, we heard at the Civic Works uh, committee meeting, we heard an excellent presentation uh, from experts about the future of, of, uh, you know, transportation, which I will believe will uh, define the next uh, 20 years. Uh, We have autonomous cars coming down the road. Um, uh, People might... uh, Will people have their own cars? Will people use small shuttle city transit? Will people use Uber-esque type transit? I think we're going to see a dramatic change. So I don't want to do anything, you know, uh, that will not give us the flexibility uh, to allow uh, dramatic, what for sure will be dramatic changes in how we get around. Ten years ago, we didn't have the iPhone. Um, Four years ago, we didn't have Uber. Uh, What's the world going to look like in ten years? Let's make sure that nothing permanent is in place, that we can't move quickly uh, to allow for that, because ten years from now, we might not have the feds in the province giving us $400 $400 million to, to make those changes. Councillor Lehman, thank you so much for the thoughts. Thanks, Mike. That is Councillor Steve Lehman, Ward 8 Councillor, heading into some discussion next week about BRT. I can solve some of the issues here. I think I got this down pat. You want to improve time, you want to get people out of their cars. Maybe I can't necessarily improve times, but... I can get people out of their cars. I can get people using public transit. Absolutely. This isn't very hard. I'll tell you how next. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Every city has a congestion problem. It's not just London. And really, our congestion problems compared to some cities... The other cities would laugh. Man, I had a three-light wait before I could get through. Man, that advance going left just isn't long enough. Four cars at a time. I had to wait for like three minutes. Other cities laugh at that. Three minutes? Three-light wait? you kidding me? No wonder you still drive everywhere. But the idea is going forward that... We are going to see our population continue to grow. It's one of the reasons why we've seen real estate prices rise to where they are. We have people moving in. And as more people move in, this is why we couldn't have Amazon moving in. You can't just drop 50,000 people into a city. That was never a thing anyway. People made a deal of it. It wasn't a thing. But you can't do that. You have to get people out of their vehicles. You have to get better modes of transportation going. And if you want to get people out of, your ve- out of their vehicles, it's very easy to do. Very easy. You want to know how? Raise parking prices. Well, we pay like $3 an hour now. Yeah. Make it 10 Make it $20 an hour. Make it unaffordable to park downtown. People will get out of their vehicles or 
They just won't come downtown. But if you want to get people out of their vehicles, you can look at Toronto. And that's the issue in Toronto. Why do people take the GO train? I'm not parking downtown. No way. It's cheaper to take public transit. And there's the key. You must make it cheaper to take public transit. But there's a second side to that. You have to make that public transit accessible. We couldn't do it right now. There's no way. It would fail miserably. If we jacked up parking prices so that it was deemed unaffordable to park downtown and then waited for people to jump onto buses and make their way around town, it wouldn't happen. You would kill downtown. So you can't do it that way. But you've got to find a way to phase this in so that something keeps people out of their vehicles. Either the five lightweight becomes just too much or the cost becomes just too much. You have to do the same thing that we talked about earlier when we were talking about autism. You have to make it so that you want the remote control. You bought the TV with the remote control. Remember back in the 70s and 80s? I guess it was more 80s. 70s, you had to get off the couch. There were only 13 channels anyway, if you were lucky. And then some fuzzy ones on whatever was you on your TV. But you had people that then saw the ability to get a remote control. And that changed everything. We need a remote control moment in transit. We need to determine how we can be ready for people to abandon their vehicles. And then we push them into abandoning those vehicles. So raising parking prices would do it, but you got to make sure your system can handle it. Right now, that wouldn't work. You know, we've got a lot of people who still talk about the reliability of times for LTC buses. And I feel for the drivers. You know, they may have that little yield sign on the back. Doesn't mean people are doing that. Doesn't mean they're getting the right of way as they're supposed to. And that's, that's just the way it is. Sometimes the line of cars is just too long for them to get in. And they do get held up. And one route gets held up, then another route gets held up. And you've got a domino effect. So that's why BRT always sounds great. Well, yeah, we'll have a lane just for buses. And it'll push people out of their vehicles. No. No, it's not going to work that way. And whatever it is, it's got to be done over a long period of time. And it's got to be a change that happens fairly slowly. And that's why it's interesting to hear some of what's being talked about, that they're looking at couplets, where you'd have a west and south couplet, or a north and west couplet, or a south and an east and that maybe that's where some of the largest voices are coming from right now, a downtown couplet, and you would start it there and then get it going. That's the kind of stuff you've got to do. And then you have to make people either have to use it or really want to use it. It has to be a remote control. And that's why it's going to be especially interesting when we do get that list of items that will come from city staff, and that list of items is going to take a look at Whatever the options are, here's, here's what we can buy. We know how much money there is to spend, and we'll go from there. Um, one thing that we want to make sure is that we've got an opportunity to be ready for the future. The hardest thing to know is what's coming in the future. You know, I used to be a big fan of autonomous vehicles, and then we did a lot of studying. 
And we talk to a lot of people. And as much as they have their benefits, there are some other things that become really, really bad. In big cities where parking is expensive, it would be cheaper for you to let your autonomous vehicle drive around instead of parking it. And that would just have more collections of vehicles on the road. That wouldn't work out at all. That's, that's maybe not the way to go. So do we sit back and do nothing? No, can't do that. Do we put our foot down and do something? Well, what if it's not the right something? This is going to be a big discussion, as it's been for a long time. And there won't necessarily be a good answer, but we've got to put it in the hands of city council to ultimately have an answer. It may not be good, it may not work out, or it may be fantastic, but they're going to need to have an answer in this. And the entire process gets going next week. We have news coming up with Jacqueline LaBelle next, and then we will talk a little bit, just a little bit, about what Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said, because I think a game show would have assisted him and would have assisted Jody Wilson-Raybould, former Attorney General, in what took place here. And then we'll talk about a bridge reopening. Which bridge? Well, you'll have to find out. Blackfriars? No, that's already done. It's been great. No, this is different, but we'll have that in the next half hour. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Can we take a minute and congratulate a couple of hockey teams? Can we congratulate the two teams that are at the bottom of the OHL standings? I know that sounds weird. Why would you congratulate teams that are last? I think we need to congratulate them. Because we live in a world where tanking in sports is such a common phrase that it seems like a good idea. And I'll admit it, at the pro level, if you can get away with it, if your fan base will let you, okay, by all means, tank, try to lose, whatever. You're a pro team. At the developmental level, that's the wrong message. That's the wrong thing to want to have happen. And the Flint Firebirds had a difficult start to the year. They didn't win for the first 17 games. And the Kingston Frontenacs have had a long year, tough year. Between them, they've now lost 99 games this year. Flint's lost 50, Kingston's lost 49. And that's out of 63 games. So it would have been easy for everybody to say, forget this year, I'm out. I'm done. All we do is lose. But nobody did. And these teams are still pushing and still winning hockey games. They've combined for four wins in the last two weeks. And that deserves some credit, actually. That deserves some credit from the coaches for maintaining the integrity among young players and maintaining the accountability. They'll all be better off for it. I remember the late Don Brankley had T-shirts made after the roughest season in London Knights history. The Knights in 1995-96 went 360-3. and You've probably heard some of the stories. If it could go wrong that year, it went wrong. It was a year in the life. Everybody goes through it, not just in sports. There are times in life when it feels as though if it can go wrong, it's going to go wrong, right? Well, Don Brankley had T-shirts made up at the end of that year. And they had a cartoon that had appeared 
in the paper, and it had uh, a guy with a broken stick looking down at the Knights logo, the Spider Knight logo, and had a bag on its head. So a hockey player with a broken stick looking down at a bag on its head. It was a really well-done cartoon, actually. And on the sleeve, it said, Never again, our future is bright. And in talking with guys years after, what they went through that year made them incredibly strong. None of them would go back and change that year. You would think, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be a part of that history one bit. But the success that a lot of players on that team have had, not necessarily with skates on their feet, although they did have guys who went on to play pro hockey from that team. They had guys who have NHL games on their resume from that team. They had four draft picks from that team. But they wouldn't change a thing because of how it strengthened them because of the way that it was handled. You didn't tank. You didn't give up. You didn't fold the tent. And you didn't try to lose. You did your best. You might not have been the most skilled team, so you lost a lot. But it made a difference in the end, and it's something they've been able to build on. Hey, if I can get through that, I can get through anything. So congratulations to Flint and Kingston for still doing what they're doing right now and for handling things the way they are right now. Because back in 95, 96, there was no tank nation. There was no art of the tank. That didn't exist. It wasn't like that. But now it does, and it is like that. And they're still doing things right. Well done. We'll take a break. Up next, is the Prime Minister doing things right? Did he do things right? Did he handle things right? Did Jody Wilson-Raybould do things right? Which one of them is lying? We'll talk about that just quick. And I want to play you a couple of things. And look at how a game show strategy may have worked and may have prevented most of this. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Got an email that has come in from Matthew, and Matthew says, I like the idea of raising parking rates to put people on buses. The one thing that we do have to remember is that this is a long process. It is not going to be an easy process, and everyone has to have more patience than they want to have right now. That's a great point. Matthew also closes up by saying, wouldn't it be nice if there was a magic wand we could just wave? Yeah, you know what? I wouldn't stop at public transit in that way. Uh, Can we extend Highbury in its very quick form further than Hamilton Road so that we at least have one expressway? Could we magic wand commissioners into another expressway? Man, if we could have a magic wand. Think of what we could do. If as the snow melts, there's a magic wand in your backyard, could you bring that into the station and we'll just... we'll. We'll do some things. We'll get some things done. Or maybe a genie in a bottle. You know, if you have three wishes, do your civic duty. You can have all the money and you can have whatever it is on the second wish. And then that third wish, eh, help the rest of us out. What do you think? Be charitable. I'm sure you can claim it. It's tax time. What do you think? I didn't think so. When you do find a a genie in a bottle, can you make your first wish an infinite number of wishes? Are you allowed to do that? I don't think you're allowed. I don't think that I think that's in the in kind of the the genie universe. That's not a thing. Cuz that's ultimately what you would have to do. Although you'd run into all kinds of problems. I wonder if the prime minister is wishing he had a magic wand or a genie in a bottle. 
Or maybe a time machine. Maybe just go back in time. Just a little bit. Let's go back in time right now. We have the ability to do that. Radio is a magical form. And we can go back in time. Why don't we go back in time to what has become, in the last few hours, the most popular thing that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said as he held a news conference in Ottawa this morning? The context is a tough one, with potential job losses in the thousands. These are the types of situations that make governing a challenge. And when there's an erosion of trust within the people involved, it further complicates what is already a difficult decision for the Attorney General. The erosion of trust. Oh yes, that's what it was. It was the erosion of trust. Which of his speech writers thought that one up? Wow. Well done. Erosion of trust. That's a, a really good statement in that it paints a picture. It's, it's a bunch of hooey, you know, erosion of trust. No, 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 no. There's no such thing as that. That means a problem with communication. That's what that is. A problem with communication. And as Gerald Butts had said yesterday, Prime Minister Trudeau's right-hand guy, you know, if it's a communication problem, it's on me, so that's why he's not doing the job that he's doing anymore. This wasn't an erosion of trust. This, this was spelled out differently. In fact, let's listen to one more thing from what Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said this morning. He talked about how he does his job. One of the things central to my leadership is fostering an environment where my ministers, caucus, and staff feel comfortable coming to me when they have concerns. Indeed, I expect them to do so. In Ms. Wilson-Raybould's case, she did not come to me, and I wish she had. Okay, that's kind of trying to pass the buck again, and we know that there was a decision to be made on this, ultimately. So... Who dropped the ball in communication that they didn't know what was going on? And what seemed to be spelled out by this was the prime minister saying, okay, well, you have to make a decision on this as the universe, as the uh, attorney general. So you're going to make this decision. And whether it was him that delivered that message or somebody else, it doesn't matter. It comes from the top of the government. Something has to be decided on this. You have a company that has some criminal issues and there are 9,000 jobs at stake, which a company can say, well, we'll pull out and they have they have that power. You got to call bluffs sometimes. That's a different part of the story. What we're looking at here is who was telling the truth, who was saying what. If there's an answer coming and the attorney general has come up with an answer, as was spelled out today, and then the prime minister admitted that they went back and said, well, are you sure that's that's your answer? Are you sure that's your answer? In other words, was that the PMO trying to trying to play that game of politics that maybe Jody Wilson-Raybould was not willing to play? Is that what this is? Because that's it's been a theory from the start that it was, well, we know what needs to be done here, but we can't say the words. So is that your final answer? If they turn this into that game show that became so famous with Regis Philbin for is that your final answer, this would have been different, wouldn't it? We would have had a different situation on our hands. Is that your final answer? That didn't happen. 
And maybe, just maybe, we had another issue in all of this in that maybe they knew the final answer, but it's almost like when a five-year-old has made a decision. When you let a five-year-old make a decision, that's a big deal. It's a big deal to them. And they've made that decision. And if you know that that decision is not the right one, you know, it's cold out and they want to wear their flip-flops because they can't wait for summer. So they've put their flip-flops on and they're ready to go outside and you say to them, now, it's cold outside. Do you do you think that this is the right decision? But you say it differently. You say, now, you know, have you reached your, or I guess to paint the picture, have have you reached your final decision here? You're, you're going to wear flip-flops? This, this is what you want to do? You got it? And they'll look down, and eventually, if you ask them enough times, they'll realize, hmm, maybe this isn't the right way to do things. So is that what was going on here? Because that's kind of what I got from today, too. I really think this will start to die down now. Although, Jagmeet Singh, leader of the NDP, who will be on the Craig Needles show tomorrow, please do not miss that, has called for a public inquiry. Problem is, you know who decides on whether there can be a public inquiry? That'd be the government. Can anybody else call a public inquiry? No. They don't want Jody Wilson-Raybould to testify again. Do you think they want a public inquiry? No. They do not. So there isn't going to be one. So maybe, in all of this, and this is the last word I'll say on this probably for the rest of this week, and unless something else happens, maybe for a while. Maybe, just maybe, we take a look at this in a broad way, and we say, okay, this is what happened. Can we make changes to the way our system works? Do we need greater checks and balances? What if we could have a consensus from the rest of government that there should be a public inquiry? In anything, not just in this. What if there was another check or balance that we could have whereby somebody else could initiate that? Would that be a good idea? That's a hornet's nest. You know how many public inquiries would be called? There's got to be some way we have greater checks and balances. We haven't necessarily needed it. Other countries, you can point to leaders that they have had, incidents that have come up where they can say, yeah, uh, we need to have something that allows us to check check up on this person because absolute power corrupts absolutely so let's put that in place we haven't really had that in canada maybe this provides us with the impetus to create it next up we'll close out with a word on a bridge that is reopening look at this tulips getting set to open spring is coming and something else is opening reopening we'll have details next this is london live you're listening to global news radio 980 cfpl okay Couple of notes. Rose emailed saying, can someone please tell me why we ignore criminal activity to have a company stay for thousands of jobs in Canada? I know SNC-Lavalin is a huge corporation, but when we turn on one of our own government employees, almost humiliating their decision to save the company, never mind Mr. Trudeau's rear end, obviously Mr. Trudeau needs to put on his funky socks and tap dance a lot more because he must think we are all stupid. <laughs> He's toast in the fall says Rose. Dave brought up something. I thought I heard this today, too. Reporter today to the Prime Minister, just to clarify, are you apologizing for anything today? And the Prime Minister said, I will be apologizing to the Inuit later today. I thought I heard that, too, but I couldn't find the clip. And then I didn't want to bring it up because I thought, no, I, I couldn't have heard that right. Dave heard it, too. Yeah, that was strange. I don't get it. 
Let's talk about something to close out the show today that is reopening. Is this a sign of spring? Yeah, well, it's, it's going to help out in the spring. The Bridge at Western is reopening. Keith Marnock joins us from Western University right now. Keith, uh, is there going to be a ribbon cutting or anything like that? Uh, no, I don't think we'll do that. But happy Founders Day to you, Mike. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I think we're all relieved that um, after five months, five long months, uh, the, the tough months of the year that the uh, University Drive Bridge will be opening uh, to traffic again tomorrow morning. Uh, we're excited about that. Um, you know, and listening to what you've been talking about just recently, I think it really reveals, uh, you know, that the road system that we deal with in the north end of London, it's uh, uh, our property is a pretty crucial part of that. And um, I guess all of us will experience a little bit of relief uh, for those who have to travel in and around the university uh, starting again tomorrow. Well, that's just it. I don't know if anyone has driven out of the university at what you would call the end of the day around 5 o'clock, but you get around University Hospital or whatever, you, you crawl. It takes forever to get out. Right, and it's only been exacerbated by um, what we were you know, required and responsible to do uh, uh, regarding the maintenance of the bridge. So. Um, I think we're uh, we're really aware of what uh, the impact has been. Uh, we're really grateful for the people's patients uh, who have to uh, travel in and around that area, uh, not the least of which those people who uh, work on work in and around campus. Uh, uh, so hopefully that uh, that will be uh, uh, viewed well. We've got our open house on the weekend, which we were really working hard to try to be in good shape for. So we're excited about that. And yeah, you know. Uh, the bridge is for traffic, yes, but it's also for pedestrians and, and bicyclists. We're hoping that people will remember that it's a tight bridge and uh, hopefully that uh, cars using that uh, bridge tomorrow that will be excited about it remember that they need to be uh, really wary of uh, the bicyclists who, who use that road as well. Keith Marnock with us from Western University. Keith, does anything change in terms of what can go across the bridge? Uh, not really. I mean, we're talking about a 98-year-old bridge uh, that's fared pretty well, but does need to be watched a lot more closely now in terms of maintenance. Uh, there was talk before the bridge uh, closed about what the restrictions might be. Uh, this does not impact any transit vehicles or anything like that. Uh, vehicles that are sort of obviously way overweight, uh, there is a weight restriction that's always been on the bridge, and so uh, trucks of that nature are aware of it. It certainly opens up a new artery, uh, pardon the pun, to... Uh, to get to the hospital access off of Richmond and so on. And um, so, again, I think that everybody's going to feel um, a benefit from uh, having it reopened. And uh, we're happy that it's uh, back in good shape for a period, you know, hopefully for a longer period of time than it was last time. But uh, it's in shape for us to be able to uh, move forward with business more as usual. Reopened as of tomorrow. Keith, thanks for the time. Good luck with the open house this weekend. Thanks, Mike. Take care. That is Keith Marnock from Western University. So the bridge that you kind of go on as as you turn off Richmond, go through the gates, you drive far enough, usually you can go through there. We haven't been able to for a while. Now that changes, reopens tomorrow, and it will alleviate a lot of clustered traffic. We have news on what traffic looks like right now, what weather looks like, day's latest stories, all coming up with Jacqueline LaBelle and Matthew Trevithick. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL.